the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Jesus talks about you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be rejected. And as you and I more and more live out our faith, even if it's not abrasive, just truth is confrontation. Okay? Truth is going to be confrontation. And when we try to say the truth and season it in love and grace, it's going to make people mad. It's going to get people furious at you. And the more and more that our culture trends this way, and it's happening, it's happening at a rapid rate, I think unbelievably so. Sometimes people think that when they come to Christ, all their problems will be solved. No more issues or struggles, just God. Unfortunately, this isn't really the case. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that the Bible says Christians will experience persecution. Although the Christian faith may not be abrasive all the time, and sometimes people simply don't want to hear the truth. Truth brings to light the things that people don't want to see. It tells them their actions might not line up with God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It tells us in verses 21 and 22 that one of the qualifications of an apostle is that he must be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. And in Acts chapter 1, 21, this is after uh, the, the apostles, 11 minus Judas, they were in the upper room. They were waiting for the gift that Jesus had promised, not knowing yet anything really about the Holy Spirit, but they're just tarrying there in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. And Peter gets up and he says, you know what, we ought to choose someone to replace Judas. Now, I don't know if that was really a Holy Spirit-inspired moment. They end up casting lots. They end up drawing straws. And they, and they, they uh, decide on a guy by the name of Matthias. And they choose him. They say, you know what, we think that you're the one who's supposed to replace Judas. The problem is, that guy is never heard of again. He doesn't do a single thing. The Bible doesn't record anything about that guy. Zero. It is likely, and you can have your own opinion and be wrong if you want, but it is likely, I'm teasing, I don't, I don't honestly know, but here's what most people believe, and I, and I lean on this interpretation, that really what they did was kind of impulsive, probably goes back to sometimes the way Peter could be, but it seems that the real one that was supposed to be chosen to replace Judas was the Apostle Paul, and it was not yet time. And Paul would be uh, considered an apostle, 
But the qualifications, then they're looking at, well, we got to choose somebody in Acts chapter 1, and here's, and here's what they say in Acts 1.21, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They must be a witness of his resurrection. That was one of the qualifications to be an apostle. The other qualification is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. And it says this, The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. So number two would be that the person has to be able to perform miracles. That was another qualification. So, when you put these two together, I know that in some circles of of Christianity, you might hear somebody referred to as apostle so-and-so, and and I would have to say that unless they have visibly seen the resurrected Jesus, and unless they can perform miracles, probably not a title that they should have, because that's the pure biblical definition of an apostle, an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus and one who can perform miracles. Now, some of you might say, well, wait a minute, you know, the apostle Paul came later, he didn't see the resurrected Lord Jesus, Ah, but he did, because on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him in his resurrected form, and that's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, I am an apostle, but one as if abnormally born. In other words, I didn't do it the normal way that the other 11 did, but I saw the resurrected Lord Jesus and Paul also perform signs and wonders as demonstration of the power upon him. So um, I would personally say when you look at the strict definition from the Bible that you might have the giftings of the apostleship when you look at what apostles did in terms of, you know, Paul like planting churches and, and starting new works of ministry for the Lord and then, you know, handing that off and kind of moving on, there is kind of an apostolic gifting of sorts uh, where, where we see that probably even still available today where people have kind of this entrepreneurial kind of spirit-guided way of launching things for the glory of God. But as far as an office of an apostle goes... I think based on these two definitions that the Bible gives us, you'd have to say that they were limited to 12 and, uh, you know, maybe 13 when you add uh, Paul, but then when you subtract Judas. So uh, really those apostles that we read here are the truest ones according to the definition of Scripture. Now, here Jesus goes after choosing these 12, and the rest of chapter 10 has to do with their assignment. He's going to dispatch them to go into the world. And I want you to notice with me as we look through chapter 10, however far we get tonight, that there are going to be some similarities here. Again, even though you and I aren't apostles, you're going to notice that some of the things that Jesus calls them to do will be familiar to us as well. In other words, when you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should just come to expect certain things in your life. And we're going to see them as it unfolds here. So let's keep going at verse 5. At verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, by the way, Jesus is, you know, he's not telling them that they should never hear the message, the Gentiles or the Samaritans. But this is, this is indicative of the pattern of Scripture. You start first with the Jews. They were the chosen people through whom Messiah came. The message starts first with them. This was Paul's MO, too, when he would go to various towns. Start first with the Jews, then the Gentiles. 
And Jesus is not excluding them, but for this moment, for this assignment, they're to go only to the Jews. Later, however, when the Great Commission is given, after Jesus rises from the dead, he says, go into all nations. So he's not forsaking the Gentiles and the Samaritans, but he's on assignment here with his apostles to go first to the lost sheep of Israel, to go first to the Jews. Verse 7, he says, as you go, preach the message, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Now, he's, he's going to teach them full dependence on the Lord. They're not going to take any money. They're not going to take a change of clothes. They're just going to, they're going to live out full dependency upon the Lord Jesus. But Jesus says to them, I want you to go and I want you to preach. The kingdom of heaven is near. I want you to heal, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. The Bible doesn't record uh, all the details surrounding their mission. It doesn't tell us how many people they raised from the dead. It doesn't tell us how many demons they drove out, how many sick they, they uh, healed uh, with the, the power of the Lord. Uh, but they did. Uh, all we have is the assignment. Uh, but no doubt they did as they went about with the exousia, with the authority that Jesus had given them. And then what we're going to find here in verses 11 through 23 is one of the things that I think uh, we should be prepared for as well, uh, especially as we live in this world, uh, the worse our world gets. And the first thing he's going to tell them that he would say to us is you're going to have to expect some persecution and rejection for being a Christian. You're, You're just to expect it. If you're really living for Christ, you should expect some measure of persecution and rejection. Now notice what he says here, and then we'll come back and, and, and dig it out. But verse 11, he says, Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his, ho- at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. In other words, if they're welcoming to you, then let your peace rest. Let shalom rest there. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Now notice some of this language, flog you. In their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Circle the word witnesses. It is the Greek word marturion. Marturion is where we get our English word martyr. More than just being a witness, they will end up dying. Uh, They will all die for their faith except John, who will end up being banished to the island island of Patmos uh, as an old man in a prison camp. So in some ways martyred, but um, he says, On account of me, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. 
children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. Notice this. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved, or literally delivered, When you were persecuted, not if, when you were persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He's speaking about his ongoing, the ongoing evangelical work of Jesus will never end until Jesus Christ returns. But in general, what he's saying there is get ready for some persecution. He says in verse 17, you're going to get flogged. He says in verse 19, get ready to be arrested. He says in verse 21, get ready to be betrayed to death. Now, they come back, so what he's speaking of here is a little more futuristic. He's speaking kind of long-term what is going to happen to Christians who live out their lives for the sake of the gospel, particularly in countries where Christianity is not allowed. Uh, Newsweek did an article a a while ago entitled The Global War on Christians in the Muslim World. And the article said this in part. It says, we hear so often about Muslims as victims of abuse in the West and combatants in the Arab Springs fight against tyranny. But in fact, a wholly different kind of war is underway, an unrecognized battle costing thousands of lives. Christians are being killed in the Islamic world because of their religion. It is a rising genocide that ought to provoke global alarm. Christians are being killed, will be killed, are being persecuted, will be persecuted. I just got uh, an email, I'm on an email list, um, that uh, came from the Family Research Council, and it was uh, written by Lieutenant General Retired uh, William, uh, it goes by Jerry Boykin, and General Boykin sent out this, this uh, email just this week talking about how um, activists met at the Pentagon with military officials last week to discuss issues of, that they consider to be of great pressing concern The Washington Post reported on it and said that the reason for the briefing at the Pentagon was because some are saying, quote, religious proselytizing is at the top of the list of problems in the armed forces, even on par with sexual assault. In other words, there's some people who have gotten together and said, you know what, in our military, we need to tone it down because even chaplains shouldn't have the freedom to talk about Christ and Christianity, and that would be across the board with all religion, and so they're really trying to tap down the freedom of speech within the military as it relates particularly to Christianity. And in General Boykin's letter, he goes on to say, as a result of such complaints, the Air Force has, according to the Post, published but not yet distributed a new document with the directive that leaders of all levels, including chaplains, may not, quote, promote their personal religious beliefs to their subordinates or to extended preferential treatment for any religion, end quote. The penalty that is being sought for those who don't comply with their view of religious speech is court-martial. So in other words, now even our chaplains are being told in the military, if you keep talking about Jesus... You're going to be court-martialed, so General Boykin is urging Christians to contact Secretary Hagel and to stand against this kind of nonsense so that even within the military, chaplains and all those servicemen and women would still have the freedom to talk about Jesus. But there is this kind of muffling of Christianity, and, um, and we're going to see more and more of this kind of persecution. And I say small p because... 
persecution that we experience in America is going to be far different from the kind of persecution where Christians are dying around the world. But even still, we have to be aware of how our culture is changing, how society is now evolving uh, or devolving in a way that will now um, begin to accentuate what you believe. And we're going to end up standing out even more clearly or choosing to fade within the mainstream of our culture, which would be a sad commentary on our faith. But check this out. I just read this article about how the state of Washington, because now they have passed same-sex marriage, the state of Washington is now removing the terms bride and groom on their marriage certificates. It's going to be spouse A and spouse B. We're not even going to refer to people as bride and groom. And uh, this kind of thing is happening. I think those of you who watch any bit of news are aware of how um, the Center for the Wizards, uh, Jason Collins, has come out and announced that he's a homosexual, the first active professional athlete uh, to acknowledge such a thing. And um, yesterday, uh, I tuned in. Uh, I like to watch the morning news uh, just to find out what the enemy's up to. And uh, so I I tune in the Today Show. Number one story that took 10 minutes, the number one story yesterday, was this whole deal about Jason Collins coming out, interviewing Martina Navratilova, what do you think about this? It was about 10 minutes long. And then the second story after that that got about two minutes was an update on the bombing in Boston. The number one news story, mainstreamed. Oh, how President Obama has called Jason Collins. Oh, how President Clinton has called him. Oh, Kobe Bryant has tweeted about it's a great thing. Ellen DeGeneres, what would we expect? You know, and so on and on it goes. But what I find concerning, okay, so that might be what it is. And whenever I even talk about a hot topic like this, I have to season it with, look, we should all love Jason Collins. We should love every homosexual. The ministry of the good news of Jesus Christ is to change lives, not to alienate people, not to be abrasive as Christians, not to be hypocritical, not to, not to be uh, judgmental in that sense, but to communicate truth in such a way that we offer it as a life-changing experience through the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what needs to be important on the lips of every Christian. It's not, it's not hate. It's not disgust. It is love for those who are as lost as any of us are before we came to know Christ. But I make this point because in response to Jason Collins coming out, Chris Broussard, who's an ESPN analyst, was asked what his opinion about it was, and he states clearly and unashamedly, I'm a Christian... And I find his lifestyle to be sinful because the Bible describes it as sin. So you have this ESPN analyst who comes out, Chris Boussard, and he says, quote, if you're openly living in unrepentant sin, this is on national television on ESPN, quote, if you are openly living in unrepentant sin, whatever it may be, not just homosexuality, adultery, fornication, premarital sex between heterosexuals, whatever it may be, I think that's walking in open rebellion to God and to Jesus Christ, end quote. He got hammered for that. He got hammered for that. And so all of these tweets started tweeting. Birds all came out of the woodwork tweeting about all of this and that. And here was, here was one tweet uh, at Chris Broussard. You, you call Jason Collins a sinner. I hope you call out all sins over the ESPN airwaves, including yours, hypocrite. 
Another tweet was, Chris Boussard at ESPN needs to get over himself. So you think homosexuality is a sin? Okay, don't be gay then. Quit being a hater. And on and on it went. ESPN had to offer a statement, and the statement was, quote, We regret that a respectful discussion of personal viewpoints became a distraction from today's ESPN From today's news, ESPN is fully committed to diversity and welcomes Jason Collins' announcement, end quote. Unfortunately, a few people came out in support of Chris Broussard. Uh, If you follow the Christian rap music, Lecrae, Lecrae tweeted, quote, So you ask Chris Broussard for his thoughts, and you're attacking him because you disagree with him. And he's the intolerant one, end quote. (laughs) So in other words, here's what's going to happen. Jesus talks about you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be rejected. And as you and I more and more live out our faith, even if it's not abrasive, just truth is confrontational. Okay? Truth is going to be confrontational. And when we try to say the truth and season it in love and grace, it's going to make people mad. It's going to get people furious at you. And the more and more that our culture trends this way, and it's happening, it's happening at a rapid rate, I think unbelievably so. Just in the last, within the last year, in the last couple of months, I don't know if you've noticed just how intense things have become in terms of our culture going down a path that is so far away from God. The more our culture does that, and the more that you and I just simply stand up for our faith and say, we're a Christian, we believe this, and God says this, and, and I love you, and I love everybody, but, but God defines sin as this, and God says this is right, and God says this is wrong. You do that, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose friends. People are going to call you bigots. They're going to call you this phobic, this phobic, that phobic, you're going you're to get all kinds of names, you're going to get all kinds of things thrown at you, and you're going to need to read this from Matthew chapter 10 and be reminded. Jesus said it was going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen more and more and more. There might come a point. I mean, I, you know, if somebody had asked me 20 years ago if I could have predicted some of this, I would have thought, no, I, I would never have predicted this. So when I even say things like, you know, could it come to the point where one day you might get thrown in jail because that kind of, even that kind of just truth talk is going to be considered hate speech, could it come to that? And if it comes to that, would you be willing to go to jail? Would you be willing to stand up for what is true and say what is right, even though it might cost you everything? So we've enjoyed our freedom far too long. And we've enjoyed the luxury of living life the way we want to live it without really too much pushback. The pushback is happening, and it's going to get worse. Are you ready for it? Jesus says you can come to expect this. It's going to happen. It'll be more and more intense. The further we get to the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus comes again to rescue us from this fallen world. It will only be getting worse and worse and worse until that day comes. So my challenge for all of us is to understand what Jesus is saying here to his own apostles and take it to heart that some measure of persecution and some measure of rejection is going to happen if you're a Christian. And if you're not feeling any of it, you better take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, well, then how bold am I really being for Jesus? 
If nobody seems to notice enough to every once in a while give me a hard time, maybe I'm not really living as openly for Jesus as I should. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person. That includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know